It's been a while since we've talked World War I here on HPH, where we're telling you the story of the Great War sporadically throughout 2021. When you cover World War I, you're drawn to the massive battles on the Western Front where the artillery and trench warfare between the Germans and the Allied British and French turned Northern Europe into a death-filled hellscape. But what doesn't seem to get a lot of hype is the very interesting story of the war further south at the edge of the Alps where two lesser armies duked it out over the high ground for three years. This week on HPH, we're taking a look at this neglected war front and regaling you with military incompetence and sacrifices that rival any other World War I story. So, grab a drink, settle in, and enjoy this episode of Hunter Proof History titled The Battles of Isonzo. Mamma mia! This is Hundred Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So, grab a drink, sit back, relax, and enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts, Chris and Greg. Once again, one more time. Maybe the last time. Maybe there's 80 more times. Maybe 380. I don't know. Welcome in, listener, to 100 Proof History. I am your main host, Gregory, and I'm joined, as always, by your sexy host, also Gregory. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Chris. Oh, yes. And Chris is here. (laughs) Yay. Just happy to be here. Just so delighted that you've allowed me to join you once again, Gregory. Well... You're still on probation, but, you know, 97 episodes in, you're doing okay. We'll see. Jury's out, right? We'll see. All right. You just keep up this un- unpaid uh, internship thing. <laughs> you know, maybe one day you'll have a place here at 100 Proof History. <laughs> oh, do you want me to get this blue dress you gave me laundered, or do we just want to keep that for, as a memento going forward? Uh, yes, on your own expense. Oh, okay, okay. Fair enough. Yes. Fair enough. And yes, if you sir. do get... Hired onto the team, mm-hmm. then um, we'll eventually pay you for that. Oh, sweet, sweet, sweet! So, it's one of the you got to pay your dues. You got to pay your dues. It's fair. That is that's only fair. All right. Whoo! As the owner of this podcast, I'm done. Unpaid intern, take it away. What are we talking about? <laughs> well, today we're talking about World War One again. We're diving back into this, uh, and we're talking about the Italian front. Way down there in Italy and Austria, they're going to go at it. And it's a bit of a head-scratcher. It's a bit of a banging your head against the wall over and over again, you know. But uh, a lot of good stories of incompetence here. A lot of like, what the fuck? Like, how how can you figure this out? And I think that's what we're all about here, is making fun of people in the past, you know? Mm-hmm. And incompetence. 100 Proof History. <laughs> You know, misery loves company, I guess. That's how we're approaching this. So, uh, but no, it's it's a very, I think it's a very good story. I enjoyed the shit out of learning about it. I didn't know anything about it because everybody just kind of like skates past it when they're talking about World War One Because it's not like the Western Front with all this valor and overcoming adversity. It's just kind of like, uh, I don't know, let's fucking try it, you know? Shh. Oh, yeah, shh. Don't spoil it. Let's not spoil it. Well... If you want to spoil it, if you want to stop the podcast right now and listen to an audiobook or read a, uh, you know, like a 600-page book, you can check out our main source, Gregory. And that is The White War, 
Life and Death on the Italian Front, 1915 through 1918, by Mark Thompson. Genuine Italian author. Yes. <laughs> it's Mark a me, Thompson. Mark Thompson. Yeah. Yep, that's right. Uh, it was a pretty okay book. Um, it tells you the story. You learn a lot of things. It's very interesting. But then, like, in the middle, it'll stop down and talk about poets in the war or the press. And you're kind of like, okay, well, let's get back to the fucking murder and the, you know, death and the Got major. a show to make here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I need you sprucing it up. Yeah, it's like, I should read this because maybe something will come up that's interesting for the show. But at the same time, poetry is really lame and I can't pretend to understand it or even how to read it correctly. So let's just get this chapter here. Control F, trucker, no results. Moving on. <laughs> yeah. We'll make the fluff, Mr. Thompson. Yes, we'll add to you it, stick sir. To the, uh, you stick to the Italian front. Um, but yeah, if you guys, if you're collecting all of our other World War One books, it's a worthy addition. How about that? Which I'm sure you are. How are you feeling about World War One? After We got like one more episode, I think, on World War One. How are you feeling about it? I'll save it uh, until the end. Oh, that's smart. That's actually pretty smart instead of the next to last one. <laughs> <laughs> We've done all of these. So, um, what are your thoughts on World War One, Greg? Uh, I don't know. Maybe just uh, put that in the credits. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Let's uh, let's reflect on our adventure before the adventure is over. I'm sure nothing bad will ever happen coming. You know, doing that. <laughs> like Christopher Robin and Winnie the Pooh just walking back to the uh, Thousand Acre Wood, holding hands, sunset behind them. Well, Pooh, that sure was a good time. Oh, it sure was, Christopher. Pooh murders Christopher. He buries him. <laughs> him and Brian Laundry run off to wherever in fucking Florida, <laughs> never to be seen again. A couple of murderers. Murderers of their lovers. You know, if Brian Laundry, we we made the joke last time, but if he's hanging out in Disney World in the Winnie the Pooh section, nobody's going to notice because nobody gives a shit about that section of Disney World. Like, oh, this fucking power down. I'm going to go get a turkey leg. You guys have fun. I like that you didn't flinch at me calling Christopher Robin Winnie the Pooh's lover. <laughs> That's <laughs> Sorry, fine. it's been 97 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we treating this like it's some sort of landmark? It just happens to be <laughs> just a random number, 97. Sitting 100, right. it's like, well, after 97, I tell you, I'm still here. You know I love you. You know I love you, though. Yeah. You know I love you. There will not be an episode 98. That That's the <laughs> the spoiler for the end of the episode. Oh, we're just going to do part one of a story. and <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. This is one part. This is one parter, yeah. Well, well I will fucking well. <laughs> not you. Remember, you're an unpaid intern. I'm sorry, sir. Well, are you ready to begin this story, this tale, intern Christopher? I think so. Am, am I? I think, yes. Is that the, yes, the answer you want to hear? You Start are allowed. To... Yeah. Okay, let's do it. Go now. When World War I broke out in 1914, the Italians were kind of just chilling in the background, trying to figure out what they were going to do. In the late 19th century, they had signed a treaty with Germany and Austria, but that was a defensive treaty, and neither one of those countries had bothered to consult with Italy before declaring war on Serbia and subsequently France, England, and Russia. And this will be a running theme throughout the story. Nobody really gives a shit what Italy is doing. <laughs> okay, pipe down, Mario. You stay mm -hmm. over there. 
It's pre-mushroom Mario. It's tiny Mario. Yeah, oh, yeah. Before the blue pill. Yes. <laughs> Italy was ruled by King Victor Emmanuel III, who was so short that he had to wear a special sword and scabbard so it wouldn't drag the ground. More importantly to this story, he was incredibly weak-willed and didn't like making his own decisions. This opened the door for others to decide the direction of the country. The super-conservative Prime Minister Antonio Salandra wanted to regain territory near the Alps that Italy had lost to Austria back in 1866. He figured the best way to do this was through war, and he didn't really care who he fought for or against. Uh, Sure, the Italians and Austrians straight up hated each other and thought of each other as lesser human beings, but if Austria would give up the contested lands, Salandra would lead the government towards supporting the central powers of Germany and Austria. You know, it's just like my parents divorce. Like, I don't care who I go with. You're both going to demean me and abuse me. But uh, <laughs> dad's got the Super Nintendo. So yeah. peace, mom. And then mom gets you the Sega Genesis to make up for it. Yeah. You've cornered the market. Yeah. You've cornered the fucking market. Dad marries a hot new piece. Mom marries this older guy with a full beard. And he wears the tweed jacket with the leather patches. And he's telling me video games are, you know, they degenerate the mind. They they stunt your growth. But the hot new piece is like, you guys, you ever hear of this thing called a PlayStation? I'm like, I'm staying with Dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hell yeah. And I'm like, you ever hear of Pornhub? Because there's, uh, there's some interesting videos I'd like you to watch, new stepmom. Don't get stuck in that dryer. <laughs> please, please do. <laughs> Every time she does laundry, she's like, what the fuck is happening back there? Stop this shit. <laughs> I told you, it's impossible to get stuck in this thing. It's a big circle, okay? I just lean in and get stuff out. You're seven. <laughs> you just got on the wrong parts of the internet way yeah, too young. Like, it doesn't even work yet. And you're just like, I don't know, I saw it. I saw it, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I found out very early that you can just lie about being 18. You just have to click yes. And they're like, oh, welcome. They said there were hot milfs in my area. And <laughs> lo and behold, they were right. How about it, stepmom? <laughs> I thought it was hot milk because I was tired and I just wanted a warm glass of milk to go to sleep. But it opened a whole new world to me. What is a nappy? <laughs> but now I'm a sexual degenerate. So uh... <laughs> anyway, we don't need to talk about how we got here, stepmom. We just need to talk about where we're going to go from here. Yeah, it's not the journey. And uh, my answer to that question is the bedroom. (laughs) We can hop in my little plastic car bed. (laughs) The school one with the yellow roof that you have powered by your feet. (laughs) Hold on, baby. Let me take this pill. You should pop a Barney Rubble Flintstone vitamin in your mouth. All right, I'm ready to go. (laughs) She's already half naked because she's a sexual predator. Dad really knows how to choose him. He does. He does. Also, her name was Uncle Stepmom, so. (laughs) Story doesn't end well. It doesn't. It does not. Uncle Stepmom. All right. Anyway. Well, there was opposition to Salandra that called for neutrality. They believed that Austria would give up the contested region, which sat upon the northeast edge of Italy along the Austrian border, in a mountainous area known as Trentino, if Italy just pledged to stay out of the way. But Salandra also wanted the eastern coastline of the Adriatic Sea, which the Habsburg-controlled Austro-Hungarian Empire had no intention of ever giving up. 
If you guys look at a map, he wanted the whole, basically control the whole Adriatic Sea. So he can control shipping and all that in and out of Italy and Austria and all that. So uh, a little ambitious. But pretty much all the dominant voices calling for neutrality died in 1914, which was very convenient for Antonio Salandra. But no, those guys, they actually were just old and sickly, so it was actually natural causes. He didn't straight up murder anybody. Or did he? <laughs> Thank you, Wolfdick. Germany told Austria to just give Italy enough land to make them stay at home, but like I said, Austria hated Italy and thought very little of the Italian people and military, so they refused. In turn, England signed a treaty with Italy they said they could basically have anything and everything they ever wanted if they just joined up with the Entente Forces. And the Entente Forces, Chris, for new listeners? Oh, yeah. So if you haven't been listening to World War I stories, the Entente Forces are England and France, or Britain and France, and all of their various possessions, their holdings. And eventually it would involve America. And Russia. Yeah, who gives a shit about them? Okay. <laughs> and the central powers would be central the opposition. Predominantly uh, Austria and Germany, but also included the Ottoman Empire, which fell thanks to our buddy T.E. Lawrence. And that episode's available to you guys if you want to go listen to it. Lawrence of Arabia. It's uh, actually episode... Go check it out. <laughs> and also, little known fact. The English weren't super stoked to have to promise so much to get the Italians to fight. Winston Churchill described Italy, who had played both sides for the best deal, as, quote, the harlot of Europe. Future Prime Minister Lloyd George said Italy was the most, quote, contemptible nation. First Sea Lord John Fisher took it a step further and said the Italians were, quote, no use whatsoever, and were, quote, mere organ grinders. End all of those quotes, because I didn't end any of them. <laughs> Into all of those quotes right now. Oh, I don't know. Is organ grinder an offensive thing now? I feel like it's an offensive thing now to say about Italians. I don't know. I don't either. I'm not Italian. I don't Getting care. up in those guts. I don't, you know, <laughs> who knows? No, not that kind of organ. The one with the dancing monkey and you play the thing and the monkey dances and you collect money on the streets. Organ trail. Yes. <laughs> that one. Okay. Okay. The monkey dies of dysentery. Mm -hmm. Like what? Because the you hunted fuck? it. You overhunted monkeys. Yes, this random ass bullshit game. Ah, oh, the wagon uncles caught up to me. This is bullshit. <laughs> fucking <laughs> whack ass. Just a group of uncles <laughs> in a wagon. <laughs> oh, where were they going to be in a fucking Ferrari, Chris? Well, yeah, maybe. I fig figure they're on horseback. I got like identifying sashes. They're just riding along, dust your trail, and you see them come over the horizon. You're like, what is that? What's coming at us? Sash is like it's military ranks. Like you got first uncle, second uncle. <laughs> all, okay. Well, it's like a beauty pageant. So you have Miss Uncle and <laughs> Uncle of the Universe. You know, it's just all these guys getting together. Okay. And they come over the, the horizon, riding the horseback, it's just a cloud of dust first. And the guy's on the front of this wagon, he's like, what? What in darnation is that? Is that engines? He's like, no. It's worse. It's the uncles. Circle the wagons, Maul. Put the youngins in the middle. 
you know they have to we know up, what they're after yeah we have to end up sacrificing one to get him to go away like oh take it this is timmy he's got a game leg you just go ahead and take him he'll join your gang he's, yeah that's how we form our gang <laughs> <laughs> Ding! there's a splatoon out there for some reason i don't know oh okay <laughs> yep <sighs> i feel bad about everything i've ever said History podcast. Yes. Prove history. <laughs> well, Prime Minister Solandra signed the treaty with England in April of 1915, but he didn't tell anyone because he still needed parliamentary approval. He needed old George Clinton to come down. Start playing the bass. <laughs> yeah, baby. George Clinton and the P-Funkadelic? <laughs> yeah. The Parliament Funkadelic? <laughs> old P-Funk. It's like, I don't know if we can do this. And you hear flashlight playing in the background. You're like, oh, yeah, we can do this. We got this shit. <laughs> we can so do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, to drive up public support, he enlisted the help of Italy's most famous poet, a bloodthirsty nihilist named Gabriel D'Annunzio. Through his speeches, he convinced thousands of Italians that it was time to take back what was theirs, and it was honorable and courageous to die for their country. Along with some political scheming from Salandra, this forced the Parliament's hand, and they declared war on Austria on May 20th, 1915. D'Annunzio publicly praised the declaration and said, quote, All these people, who yesterday thronged in the streets and squares, loudly demanding for war, are full of veins, full of blood, and that blood begins to flow. We have no other value but that of our blood to be shed, end mm, quote. Somebody got a tampon. <laughs> and there thongs in the streets, <laughs> full of blood. Oh, There's blood everywhere. Tampon strings just hanging out of the thongs. <laughs> I don't know. I was, I was texting while you were saying that, but that's basically what I got out of that quote. It's pretty impressive that the whole country is on the same cycle at once. That's what happens when you hang out with your besties, you know. <laughs> the blood is flowing. I mean, that's what my wife says when I try to have sex with her. She's like, well, you know, I'm synced up with so-and-so. And then the next week, it's like, well, I'm synced up with so-and-so. And she's uh, she's just on a uh, 28-day cycle of <laughs> menstruation <laughs> and then starts another one yeah. know, immediately. After. Like, it's just a 28-day, yeah. So That does happen, yeah. She has so many friends. I mean, she's Gosh, just synced up. Told her she needs to see a doctor. She's so nice. She just syncs up with everybody she meets. We haven't had sex in three years. So. <laughs> Still haven't consummated the marriage. But your kid is like one and a half. And, uh, well, I huh. mean, I you know what I, I know what. One you, time I think I look. It's embarrassing. I shouldn't even be saying this on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, one time I masturbated. No. And I do I do it into condoms because she thinks it's gross if I don't. Mm -hmm. Like I and so she said that when I was asleep, mm -hmm. she went and got that and artificially inseminated herself. So. No. She, because she didn't want her cycles to get in the way of us having kids. Oh, you that's know? very considerate, yeah. I always thought it was bullshit. I got to I got to do that into into condoms just to not be messed like Anyway, this is a little too much for episode 97 of I'm the sorry. History Podcast. <laughs> Save this okay. for later. Jeez. Well, my wife, you know, ours didn't line up either, but she didn't tell me that. She told me she just prayed really hard to the magic stork, and the stork brought the baby. I was like, yeah. Seen it on cartoons, so it makes sense to me. 
So you don't even have to jack off into condoms? No. No. <sighs> have Lucky. you not ever, ever seen a Bugs Bunny cartoon? And then, you know, I, I painted a tunnel on the wall and I ran out of the room before her boyfriend got in there and saw me hanging out downstairs. <laughs> he would have whooped the fuck out of me. <laughs> yeah. Really slip one by him. Anyway, for doing his part, Denunzio was made an officer in the Third Army and got to dip in and out of battle as he saw fit. And this dude, this is one of the things that's in the book, but I kind of glossed over because, again, he's a poet and it kind of drives, it powers you down. He's talking about nature and shit. And you're like, this is all just a metaphor for a vagina. I know what this is. But anyway, he would end up leading these guys in one battle across a single plank that crossed a river, having them charge against uh, Austrian machine guns and just like gleefully laughing as they got gunned down. And he's like, this is the best fucking thing that's ever happened to me. But uh, we'll we'll get, get to the fighting in a little bit. But uh, just to let you know, this giant piece of shit was. Thank you. The man in charge of the Italian war effort was Chief of Staff Luigi Cadorna. He believed that an army had to be controlled by one dude and refused to listen to anyone, which was pretty bad news for Italian troops because Cadorno was a goddamn idiot. He believed, quote, the offensive is profitable and almost always possible even against mountainous positions that appear to be impregnable, thanks to dead ground that permits A, advance under cover, and B, deployment toward the flanks or weak points, end quote. She and... There I was thinking my wife was impregnable, but <laughs> it happened. She she stole one of my my Jack condoms, <laughs> I guess, on the one day that I don't know. I never knew this day existed, but yeah. I must have been at work or something. And she was just like, "Oh my god, I'm not on a cycle!" Boom, and then yeah. you know, we had my redheaded son, <laughs> my black redheaded son. But yes, you you know Trevor Junior. well cardano's whole basic idea was that if an enemy held the high ground or was in a trench they'd have to expose themselves to fire at the advancing italians Ooh, (laughs) lucky (laughs) i wish i was the advancing italians (laughs) number one it would mean i'm uncircumcised world war one italian you know? Yeah. So I'd be the advancing Italian. I'd be uncircumcised. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I got uncircumcised at 14 <laughs> when my stepdad came along and he was like, no, no, we will not have that <laughs> in refreshed. this household. Um, so I just kind of wish I was still in that position. But also, you know, if they were having to expose themselves mm-hmm. to me, you know, I'm an advancing Italian. I have an uncircumcised penis. A bunch of sweaty soldiers are exposing it, dude. <laughs> oh, heaven is a place on earth, and it's there on that battlefield. That's, exactly, That's all I'm saying. It's all I'm saying. just sharing my thoughts. I I didn't mean to interrupt you. Just uh, you know, free flowing, just stream of consciousness. You know, just yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Well. The Italians advancing upon the trenches uphill, forcing the Austrians, whoever their enemy was going to be, to expose themselves. That's a great strategy, except it ignores the fact 
that the Italians advancing over the quote-unquote dead ground wouldn't be exposed the whole damn time, Gregory. Mm. Yeah, just everybody exposing everything, you know? Mm. Just get it all out there. This is back in the days before man-made fabrics. You only had so much cotton, so... So whatever you, whatever you want to cover, cover the important parts. That's all I'm saying. It's like going to Burning Man, you know? Like, you like what you see? <laughs> no, move along then. You get sick of saying move along after a while. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Just standing by the porta potties waving people on. Fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> thought we were supposed to be having a good time here. I thought everybody be chill. Got a fucking 48 pack of Trojan Petites and they're just going to go to waste. <laughs> <laughs> now, guys, don't forget, this is 1915. This is a year into the war, so the Western Front had completely disproven Cadorna's theory. But he basically said the English, French, and Germans just didn't want to win badly enough. You know, they don't fucking know what they're doing. I got this shit. You just don't want it. Yep. Hearts and minds. Hearts and minds. Mm-hmm. Clear eyes, full hearts. Can't lose, Greg. It does take a brave man to take the, the Anakin position. Of, big deal. I'm on the low ground. You gotta come down to me, bitch. You gotta expose yourself to me, Obi-Wan. <laughs> what you gonna do? Chop off my arms and legs and leave me to die in a fire in a volcano? Oh, shit. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> well, he asked for it. Well, to make things worse, the Italian army was in no way ready for the type of war that awaited them. They were undermanned undertrained, and had a shit-tier railway system, had almost no artillery, almost no machine guns, and had no fucking clue what to do about barbed wire. And that becomes a running theme going forward for them. They don't... It's like, oh, sh- shit, what is this shit? What do we, how do we get through wire, guys? I don't, I don't know. It's just a... <laughs> stand here and get killed. It's just a bunch of TVs set up that are showing that Pamela Anderson 90s movie, uh, Barbed Wire. They start running through and they're like, oh shit, it's a nude scene. Start jacking their uncircumcised <laughs> penises, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm one of them. <laughs> I'm not looking at the TVs though, I'm looking at them. Yeah. And the Austrians stand up exposing themselves. And they start opening fire while they're laughing while, you know, at full mass. Shit, fuck shit, I don't even have a condom on yet. Fuck! <laughs> My wife's gonna kill me. <laughs> Real talk, I think I sat through like 90% of that movie when I was 16, just I've waiting for the nude scene. I've never seen that movie. <laughs> just waiting for I don't even know if there is a nude scene in that movie. I just remember watching it going, okay, it's going to happen. We're going to see it. We're going to. At best, it was going to be boobs, right? It wasn't even going to be, you know, things that. A penis. Now you're like, oh. Back then, boobs was enough. You're 16, you're like, oh, oh, oh boobs. Yes. Yes. Wish I had those. Yeah, right? <laughs> On my body. You look so good with my dick. <laughs> anyway, history podcasting. My mind's in the gutter today. Yeah, we're killing proof history. Well, the Italian plan was to rush across the border, take the lower and middle parts of the Isonzo River, which allowed the Italians to take the city of Trieste, which sat on the Adriatic Sea. Meanwhile, they'd take the Carso Plateau and the Dolomite Mountains in the far northeast corner of Italy on the upper Isonzo River. This river's playing a big fucking role. You know, there's a few battles on it, that's all I'm going to say. Just a few battles over this river. Newsflash. 
title of the episode <laughs> might come into play here from time to time. It's possible. It's possible. They've already checked out. They're already, like, just getting their grocery list together, thinking about the shit they got to do today. Everyone's bald. They'll be like, oh, exposed penises, circumcised. I'd come in I a know condom. most of our listeners are like, wait, they make Trojan petites? Pause the episode <laughs> and ran to the CVS real quick. Especially the lady listeners for some reason. <laughs> well, the best part for the Italians was Austria had sparsely defended this area because they were still busy fighting in Serbia and Russia and couldn't really afford to support a third front. They had basically abandoned the Dolomite Mountains completely and had no real hope of holding the Isonzo. But the Italians were slow to mobilize and moved at a snail's pace. This allowed the Austrians to blow the bridges over the Isonzo, build up defenses, and move a few more troops to the front. And if you guys ever had a big pasta lunch, I'm right there with you. Like, oh, I don't feel like fucking marching today. All these breadsticks from Olive Garden. True Italian food. Mm-hmm. Real, authentic Italian food. I had all these breadsticks and cannellonis and stuff. Man, I'm just, I'm just stuffed. I'm, I'm not fucking marching. You can't make me. Yeah, the overstuffed uh, Chef Boyardee raviolis. Yeah. I really empathize with these guys. I do too, yeah. Cold out of the can. They know. We know oh. what it's like. Yep. That's what you do on the front. And a uh, little known fact, everyone. Another big success for the Austrians was their intelligence agency's ability to get misinformation into the Italian command. Because of this, the Italians believed they were advancing on an army four times the size it actually was. One trick the Austrians used was to bring a division up to the front line by rail, have them secretly march back to another railway station, and then bring them up again, making it look like they were constantly sending in fresh troops. Fucking genius. Yep. No one stopped and said, that's the guy that gave me herpes. I recognize that guy. No, this is my brother. Like, no, it was you, you son of a bitch. This is not me. The first battles came in early June as the Italians advanced. Up north, on the Carso Plateau, the Italians found the Austrians were quickly falling back and had abandoned the city of Madafacone, which sat at the base of the plateau. The Italians quickly rushed the city and began to loot it, at which point a hundred men were killed by artillery fire. Oh no, they fell into a trap. But wait, it was Italian artillery fire that was fired upon an abandoned city. Ooh. Off to a roaring start, fellas. We're doing good. We're doing good. The same day, the Italians reached the lower Asanzo where they discovered the destroyed bridges. They went to work building a pontoon bridge while the Austrians patiently waited across the river. The Italians launched a few artillery shells, shouted Savoy, which was the name of the royal family, and charged across the bridge. Once they were across, the Austrians devastated them with machine guns and launched a counterattack. During this counter-charge, the Austrians hurled hand grenades, which the Italians didn't even know existed. (laughs) And again, we're a year into this fucking war. (laughs) What the fuck is that? (laughs) Magic explosions? (laughs) They throw exploding rocks like a Mario throws the fireballs. (laughs) Oh... They must have endless supply of the uh, fire flower. <laughs> Mamma mia. You gotta we don't have any Italian listeners. Fuck them. 
I think it was a couple, but yeah, I'd still fuck them. Yeah, still fuck them. They sent me pictures, and I would. Just saying. Hmm. Fuck them. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Up in the Julian Alps, where the Isonzo River originated, the Italians made very quick gains and figured they could take the peaks and push into the valley beyond, but were inexplicably ordered to hold their position. And if they had done so, they basically would have pushed straight into Austria. They had a path in, but uh, they were told to hold their position, and this allowed the Austrians to regroup and fortify their defenses. A few days later, when the Italians charged, they were once again wrecked by machine guns. They came upon lines and lines of barbed wire that were about 90 feet deep and had absolutely no clue what to do about that. So they just laid down and waited for dark so they could hopefully survive and retreat. In other places, the Austrians shoved large boulders down the mountain at the advancing Italians. Which is a very cool, sort of, old-school tactic that uh, armies used against Alexander. I think I remember, like, using against his army. He was trying to go up a mountain pass, but then he's like, watch this shit, and at night snuck around them and killed them all from behind. <laughs> but the Italians were like, I don't know what the fuck to do about this. There's something blocking our path, and... Uh, it's a bullshit, though. <laughs> All these rocks keep coming down this hill. Oh, shit. I'm Italian. <laughs> this is how we talk here in Italy. This fucking bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Hurting down these rocks, this ain't a fair fight. <laughs> Come down here and find me like a man. Let's do it on the streets of Tombstone, you son of a bitch. With that red baron. Which, this would actually be a lot less anachronistic and... It makes more sense now, yeah. <laughs> Geographianistic, geographicanistic, whatever. Uh, that it would make a lot more sense than tombstone. Red Baron being in, in Tombstone, <laughs> fighting against Tombstone Pizza Corporation. <laughs> That's episode hundred, by the way. There's a couple episodes episode. involving both of <laughs> whatever. <laughs> by the end of the first month, they had been at war. Italy had lost. 20,000 troops, which was four times the casualties suffered by the Austrians. But General Cadorna, and I apologize if I've said Cardona, because that's I've dyslexia, and that's how my brain's been fucking his name up, but it's Cadorna. Uh, he was still pretty excited. He had a million men in the plains south of the Alps, which was the largest Italian force ever assembled. And he was ready to kick the shit out of some Austrians at the first battle of the Asanzo. Here we go. Number one. We're going to do it right from the start. We're going to win. First battle. It might be the last battle. Why are we calling it the first battle? <laughs> you don't understand. Like, you're, you keep calling it World War One. Like, <laughs> yeah. this is it, right? Yeah. My wife keeps calling me her first husband, you know? <laughs> That's a hilarious joke, wife. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first battle began on June 23rd, with the Italians making eight attempts and failing to take a hill only known as Hill 383, because that is how tall it was in meters. They simultaneously attacked the town of Gorizia, but were beaten back again in brutal hand-to-hand combat. In the Dolomites, the Italians attacked on July 1st after a two-day bombardment. But rain turned the 40-degree mountainside into a giant slip-and-slide, so they're just having fun with their exposed penises and the condoms, just (laughs) all the way down the hill. (laughs) The ground was too muddy and rocky to dig proper trenches, and the Austrians had put row upon row of barbed wire in front of their positions. In one attack on Mount Slimay, 
the Italians lost 300 men in a single charge, prompting the commanding officer to commit suicide. (laughs) Suicide's not funny. Nope. (sighs) Fuck you, wolf dick. By July 7th, the first big Italian offensive had failed. The Italians had lost 10,000 men. No worries for Cadorna. Just launch another attack, buddy. On the lower Asanza, the fighting once again devolved into hand-to-hand combat and the men suffered dehydration due to the heat. Up in the mountains of the upper Asanza, where elevations reached around 6,500 feet, the men had to spend each night fighting off frostbite and their own artillery attacks buried them in avalanches of rock. That was the second battle of the Asanzo, and it wrapped up on August 3rd. In this one, the Italians lost another 42,000 men. Combined with their losses in the first battle, they had lost 1 in 20 of their able fighting men. That's not a good ratio. For you uh, math whizzes, that's 5%. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not lose the entire audience here, right. okay? Uh, nobody told me it's going to be math in this podcast. Fuck this shit. <laughs> Get back to the dicks and stuff. Okay, I'm sorry, sir. Fine, fine. Yes, sir. In both battles, they had advanced in ranked masses, up hills, and across open plains, led by their officers who carried only swords and wore capes. So, you know, this very fancy gentleman just carrying a sword in the front, you know, and unlike other armies who had their, you know, their officers stay in the back, or at least look like other troops. These guys were pretty easy targets at the very beginning of the battle. You know, like, you don't even have to look for the rank insignia. Nope. Oh, look for the guys carrying fucking swords <laughs> with the capes on. Oh. The, the Phantom of the Opera mask, like, draped over his face. <laughs> the music of the night. <laughs> <laughs> How did they know? How did they know? (laughs) But if you're wondering, things weren't much better for the Austrians because they had also lost about 57,000 men in the first two battles. Just like the Italians who refused to stop attacking, the Austrian leader refused to cede any land. And instead of helmets, they wore soft caps that did nothing to protect them from the shrapnel of artillery shells and exploding trees. Italian officers began to fudge the casualty numbers to try and make it look better than it was. But back in Rome, they knew what was going on. When the foreign minister privately told a journalist that the war wasn't going to plan, and it was a defensive war, rather than the offensive war they had planned for, the journalist basically said, Hey, I know shit. You have seen the Western Front, am I correct? I'm from Italy. That's it, you have to... You sound like you're the fucking um, parts dealer on uh, episode one, Phantom Menace, Star Wars. (laughs) Watto? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You would know his name. Well, that's because he sounds like all Italians everywhere. And so it's like, it just sticks to your mind. Matter of fact, anytime I hear an Italian speak, I just picture Watto. They could be standing in front of me, like talking to me face to face, and I just close my eyes. I'm like, can't believe you tried to keep the Darth Vader. You just try to keep him, but then Qui-Gon did the thing with the dice to cheat so you would lose him and you become his slave boy. Oh. You wanted all those midichlorians for yourself, you pedophile son of a bitch. <laughs> Your giant nose penis. 
I'm sure George Lucas didn't mean to be like some sort of, you know, racial epithet, you know, sort of thing where he's like slandering somebody else just like he did with Jar Jar. I don't, I don't know. What do you mean? Well, I, he, he was, I'm not going to say what I think he meant by it because I don't want to say. Uh, this was censored. Chris said a bunch of racist things. <laughs> no, George Lucas is the racist. Just saying what he said. Damn it, this keeps happening to me. Just keep repeating what people said. (laughs) Well, after Watto said that shit, the foreign minister practically shrugged and said, Hey, well, you know what? Well, after we've been through this, all that Western Front stuff kind of makes sense to us now. You know, like we couldn't learn from their their lesson before until we saw our, our own guys getting slaughtered doing the same shit they were doing last year. You know, it all makes sense to us. Well, now the Italians had caught up on how awful fighting could be in the new industrial age. If they were going to take down the Austrians, they were going to need new innovative tactics, proper equipment, and competent leadership. Instead, they were going to get Luigi, Cadorna, and things were going to get much, much worse. Well, you don't know that. uh, I don't know that. I actually don't know that until you uh, tell us what happens. Yeah. We'll have to see on the other side of the break. Yeah. Well, You're just what, guessing right now. But well, that, cause that's how we do it. Like, I stop reading the first half of the book, and then Greg takes over the second half. And then he, you know, he composes the second part. And I'm like, I am shocked to see how this ends every time. I really have a feeling things are going to turn around for the better. All right. Well, I hope so, man. I hope so. Because I'm really rooting for these Italians. I really think they're going to just punch through, defeat the Austrians, take over the war. England and France can be like, you guys did great. We're so glad you're here. The Entente forces won. So yeah, yeah, that's true. So we're we're about to see that in action. Yeah, let's take a break. In about fifteen seconds. One, two, three, break, break. Ah, damn it, I missed it again. Alright, welcome back from break. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We have told half of this story. Well, not really half, but a good chunk of this story. Greg's going to tell you the the rest of it here in a second. But before we do that, Greg, I was going to ask you, what are your thoughts on the Italian front and the battles of the river, the, the Sanzo River? My thoughts? Yeah, I'm just continuing the stupid joke from the beginning where I asked you the thoughts before the thing was over. I was like, hey, hey what's up? Uh, yeah. Dude, that was a while ago. Oh. I've had a lot to drink since then. <laughs> Say that. That landed like United Airlines Flight 175 landed. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> if I was good at this, I'd be as rich as Joe Rogan right now, okay? I don't know what I'm doing. Well, you're not taking ivermectin. That's the start. Winter. Anyway, we are back. We've had some drinks, we had some fun, we had some laughs, and I think that's still going to continue, but before we do that, we need to, like, refresh our souls, make ourselves feel better, and the only way to do that is by putting some lighter form of alcohol into our body, some sort of, I don't know. You gotta go to the clear liquids. Yeah, yeah. Like water and... Yeah. Well, <laughs> not water, but... Yeah, but similar. something like water, maybe. I don't know. 
A second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Three, two, one. Mm. Mm, nailed it. Now, we do have a lot of new listeners, and they might not understand what just happened. Uh, this began when uh, the show used to be 100% whiskey, and things would just, the wheels would fall off very quickly. And so Gregory started drinking his seltzers right before, you know, we started this second half. He would just dive into his seltzer, just kind of keep the buzz going, but not get hammered drunk where he couldn't talk. And I envied that, and so the tradition of second half seltzer was started. I just wanted the people know, just let them get in on this. So you can pop a seltzer with us, enjoy the second half of the story, which Greg, are you ready to tell these humans what else happens in Italy? Sure. As soon as I tell them that you used to fucking be hammered ass drunk in the second (laughs) half when we used to split lines and you couldn't fucking talk, so. Yes. Yeah, I'm ready. And for $3 a month, you can hear that on the Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. Well, guys, things were awfully shitty for General Luigi Cadorna and the Italians. They had trouble hitting the Austrians with their artillery because they lacked aerial reconnaissance and the Austrians typically had the higher ground. They sucked at getting through barbed wire, and the one thing they found actually worked was heavy artillery. They didn't have the shells or the supply lines to get that done effectively. In the first two battles, they even resorted to sending men to cut the lines behind iron shields, which just made them giant targets for artillery, hand grenades, and machine guns. Still, Cadorna decided to launch the third battle of the Asanzo River, on October 18, 1915, the Italians launched their largest artillery attack yet, firing 1,300 guns. They were small dick energy 75mm guns that did absolutely nothing to the Austrian trenches and barbed wire. One general, Luigi Capello, launched 30 separate assaults on the heavily defended towns of Sobatino and Podgora, and each one was repelled, and the Italians suffered so many casualties the Capello was called the Butcher. And Grant was just rolling in his grave, just like, you son of a bitch. That was my title. I earned that. Killing all those boys in Virginia. You bastard. That's right. They did call him the Butcher. Check out our last series for that one. Mm-hmm. All these callbacks. Love it. Man, we've covered pretty much all of human history. Like, we're like looking for these fringe stories right now is basically what's <laughs> happening. Like, World War One, Okay. Learn <laughs> that shit. <laughs> Up in the mountains on the upper Asanzo River, things went pretty much the same as they had in the first two battles, with Italians attempting to run uphill at fortified positions. During one attack, the Italians were shocked to find that they were running toward the Austrian trench, and they weren't being fired on for some strange reason. As they neared the trench... Austrians called out to them and begged them to turn around because they didn't want to slaughter any more Italian soldiers that day. After the ones that were advancing were shot down, the rest of the Italians got the message and retreated back to their trench. It's kind of crazy, right? Middle of war, like, please stop. Please, we have killed too many of you idiots. And this actually happened several times in these battles where the Austrians just had them dominated. Like, please stop making us kill you, you fucking assholes. Just, Just go back. That's got to be rough. It does. It's like, uh, you know, my wife keeps, hey, 
quit making me get these restraining orders. All you have to do is stay down. Stay in your box on top of the trailer, you know, where you've decided you live now. And I'll have to stop getting these restraining orders saying you can't come inside the property. And I'm like, but I, but I have no self-control and I keep breaking in in the middle of the night just to just see how she's doing. Just give a little kiss on the cheek while she's asleep, you know? Just trying to be a, a good husband. Maybe give her boyfriend a little tug while he's asleep too. Yeah. You, know? you, watch, you watch them make love. and Yeah. Maybe, maybe just masturbate to a little. Yeah. You're not thinking of him, you're thinking of her. Yeah, mostly, yeah. And that could be you. Yeah. Getting plowed by that guy, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. The third battle of the Asanzo raged on until November 4th, when heavy rains and plummeting temperatures suspended the fighting. The Italians had suffered 67,000 more casualties. The Austrians had lost 41,000 men themselves, but because of their barbed wire and machine guns, they had successfully beaten back an Italian force that was three times as large as their own. Cadorna realized he had made a mistake and went back to the drawing board to come up with a new plan. (laughs) Just kidding. He waited a whole week and then launched the fourth battle of the Asanzo River, which cost him another 49,000 men before heavy snowfalls put an end to the operation. Now, this might be hard to believe, but for some reason, Italian morale began to plummet. Not only were they throwing themselves at the same defenses over and over again, but also the weather was shit and there was no food. The Italian boots, and I'm doing air quotes right now, mm-hmm. were made of cardboard strapped on top of wooden soles. Well, to solve these problems, the Italians censored the crap out of the media and threw anyone who ever said anything bad about Italy or good about Austria into an internment camp. And that's not an exaggeration. One family of seven was thrown in a camp for naming their daughter Germana. Six Italian men were interned for criticizing the army in a bar, and another man was locked up for being too slow to help a soldier who fell into a river. Like, he still helped him. He just wasn't fast enough. <laughs> he's in his wheelchair. He's like, I'm coming, Sonny. <laughs> <laughs> Got the electric one way he's controlled his fucking mouth. <laughs> oh, I hit a rock. Sorry. Hold on. Hold on. Hello, I am here to help you <laughs> grab onto my unfunctioning leg. No, <laughs> I'm sorry. You weren't, you weren't fast You're enough. You're so slow. 30 years in the gulag. Is that uh, that wheelchair say made in Germany, you son of a bitch? <laughs> Is it a Volkswagen? <laughs> well, little known fact, it was also around this time that soldiers began to wound themselves to get off of the front lines. Officers had to be trained to look for powder burns on men with wounds to their hands or feet. If caught, a soldier faced execution, but that didn't deter the self-mutilations. They didn't actually stop until the punishment was changed to instant transfer to the front line. I don't teach you. Well, Cadorna, he didn't really give a shit about any of this. In fact, he encouraged it. When regimental commanders began to complain that their men shouldn't be sent running face-first into barbed wire, one general said that the massacre of their infantry was a, 
quote, necessary holocaust, end quote, to thin out the weak and undetermined soldiers. For that, he was praised by Cadorna. That's probably like the last time, almost the last time in history you can say something was quote-unquote a necessary holocaust, you know, without yeah. a big group of people. <laughs> you mean the civilized world? Yes, but I, I should have said without rightfully offending a big group of people. Big group being the civilized world. Yes, anyone with a soul, a, a compassionate ability to empathize with humans. Just making sure. Yeah. Well, not everyone was impressed with Cadorna's complete and total lack of strategy. The Minister of War, Vittorio Zappelli, told Cadorna to focus his artillery on a small front and mass an attack in a certain area. Cadorna didn't like being questioned, so he got the press to back him up, and Zappelli was fired and sent to the front. Sucked for Italy, because Zappelli had been pretty great as a war minister in upping production of machine guns and hand grenades, and aiding the development of the trench mortar, which would help knock out barbed wire going forward. But the big allies, the French and the Brits, knew what the Italian front really was. A distraction. So when they met in the winter of 1915 to discuss plans, Cadorna was politely ignored. Just sitting over there in the corner eating his cold can of overstuffed ravioli. Just sitting in the hotel bar at a uh, two-top. You know, <laughs> fancily dressed. Mm -hmm. and they're having their little martinis, France and England. Mm -hmm. Cadorna shows up. And, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> sorry, sorry. You've misunderstood. You're uh, you're the cameraman. <laughs> you go over there. But I'm a hitter to fuck. You sit there and you crank this fucking camera. <laughs> the old time yeah. The old time camera. And you watch. The best part of this is it makes it look like we're going faster than we actually are because the frame rate's so <laughs> fucked up. Oh. <laughs> I wish I could gyrate my hips like that. Oh, God, it'd be so great. But no, 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 no. Yeah, that was actually slow and intimate, but it looks so animalistic when you watch it on camera. <laughs> there was a lot of jazz playing in the background, a lot of <laughs> kissing and caressing, but boy, it's all jackrabbits on camera. Babe Ruth was there for some reason, running really fast around the bases. <laughs> the dog from the backyard of the sandlot ate my semen condom. <laughs> My mom told me to save. I mean, my wife. I can't keep my story straight anymore. Jesus fucking Christ. I like how we went from super fast filming in the aughts and the 1910s to Babe Ruth to a movie about Babe Ruth to your condom. Like, this is just this, this train that's going down the tracks and it's unstoppable. But everyone's like, please, please. There's the brakes have stopped a long time ago. <laughs> I want off. I want off of Mr. Bones' wild ride, please. No, <laughs> sorry. This is United Train Line Route 175. <laughs> so again, yeah, we've all kind of acknowledged that the uh, the the Southern Front, the Italian Front, is basically a distraction. Mm-hmm. Well, that following February, Germany launched a surprise attack at Verdun. The French asked the Italians to take the pressure off by launching their own offensive, and thus the 
Fifth Battle of the Isonzo River began on March 11th. It was called off after just six days when the Italians had gained almost nothing and had lost another 15,000 men. The Austrian military leader, Franz Conrad von Hotzendorf, was tired of being on the defensive and began to plan for his own attack. He asked Germany for help, but they told him to fuck off because they were busy turning Verdun into a human meat grinder. Still, von Hotzendorf got 160,000 men and a shitload of artillery and began to mass for his attack. The Italian general in the area where the Austrians were massing asked Cadorna for help and was told he was fine with what he had because there was no way the Austrians were going to attack. It's pretty smart. Cadorna's a genius. I don't think there's any way the Austrians are going to attack. He's He's got this nailed down. The Austrians attacked on May 15th oh. in an operation oh. they called the Punishment Expedition. Is that a mental moment? That's a pretty badass name. Punishment Expedition. Mental moment! That's what my wife calls digging through my phone. Punishment expedition. She's like, oh. What has he done wrong lately? <laughs> well, it was a pretty big success as the Austrians quickly overran the Italians all along a 20-kilometer front. The Italians were in complete disarray and stood a good chance of collapsing, prompting Cadorna to beg the Russians to attack Austria from the east. The Russians pitched in and saved Cadorna's skinny Italian behind, and Austria had to call off their attack. Yes, Greg, and little known fact, like many generals, Cadorna was obsessed with Napoleon and the idea he would be considered better than the great French Emperor General. After each of his defeats, he would claim that Napoleon himself couldn't have done better, and defied Napoleon's claim that Austria could only be defeated on the Isonzo if the whole Tertino province was captured. After all, Napoleon only defeated Austria in battle like a zillion fucking times, so what the fuck did he even know, loser? I want to tell you what he didn't know. What's that? You know, and this is probably what Cadorna was thinking. He's like, and you take the uh, Napoleon ice cream, you take out the strawberry, it's, <laughs> it's fucking dirt dog shit trash. <laughs> I don't know why I sound Middle Eastern right here. I don't either. You're boring it. You, uh, <laughs> there we go. You're throwing some cookies and cream over there instead. Oh, <laughs> Napoleon was good, I, but I'm a better. There we go. Got a better. So you went track. from Borat to New York gangster, back to Italian. I I appreciate the effort. The roller coaster of accents we just. <sighs> I've had a few, Chris. Okay. <laughs> Fucking drunk shaman over here. Remember when we used to try accents and voices? Well, I just did three. You're welcome. Yeah. And this is actually an accent. The, the listener actually doesn't know this yet, unless they're Patreon subscribers. Mm -hmm. I'm actually Norwegian, so. Yes. I just, you know, I want to speak with a an American accent. That's very good. Appeal to a broader audience, wider range. Yeah, when he talks normal, I don't understand him. He sounds like the Swedish chef, and then he gets offended because he's Norwegian, not Swedish. And then I have to say, like, oh, well, I like Ikea, and he's like, oh, you fucking patronizing bitch. And then it just goes downhill, so yeah, yeah, it's yeah. better for all of us that he does his accent. Well, toward the end of 1915, Prime Minister Antonio Salandra had proposed that the Italians take the town of Gorizia as sort of a 
consolation prize to make the war effort seem better than it was. Cadorna said it was dumb, but in August of 1916, when Italy took the town in the 6th Battle of the Isonzo River, while suffering a scant 51,000 casualties, it was considered a great victory. Even though his army greatly outnumbered the Austrian forces, and he had an artillery advantage of 12 to 1 in some places. Is that good? Is that a lot? It's a lot. Okay. It's a lot. Heavy snowfall began in late September, but that didn't stop Cadorna from ordering attacks way up in the Dolomite Alps in altitudes greater than 11,000 feet. In the winter, temperatures dropped to 40 or 50 below zero, causing men to suffer frostbite. They had no winter camouflage, so they were very easy targets. Alpine climbing wasn't really a thing, but they tried, and even slept in tents that were staked to sheer cliff faces. But thousands fell to their death, and thousands more were buried in avalanches. Meanwhile, in September, on the lower Asanzo, Cadorna launched... <laughs> oh... Oh, you sly fucking listener. Oh, you <laughs> guessed it. You always do. The seventh Battle of the Asanzo. They think they're so fucking smart, Chris. Oh, God. But they are. It just it fucking pisses me off on the inside. Ugh. But they, they probably think we're almost done. They're probably like, oh, seven. That's a lot. That's a lot of battles. That's probably it, right, though? Uh, you know, I should have said final Battle of the Asanzo. My bad. You should have. Well, by this time, the Austrians had sent in a ton of reinforcements and had used Russian POVs. Why did I say that? Point of views? <laughs> and had used... Ru oh, what yeah. have I been doing? <laughs> <laughs> I'm used to POV from video games, you perverts. <laughs> yes, of course, yes. <laughs> It had used Russian POWs to rebuild their defenses. The Italians attempted to cross the valley in a large mass, but were so easily cut down by Austrian machine guns that the Austrians said it looked like an attempt at mass suicide. Yeah, they dipped their cups into that barrel of Kool-Aid. I'm sorry, Flavor-Aid. Just came screaming across, talking about, how, you know, they're going to die for Daddy Jim Jones. Okay, all right, well, I guess we'll open up fire. Tired of living in the jungle. You know, you know mm -hmm. how it is. Jonestown problems. Mm-hmm. Did an episode on that, too. God. Really just repeating ourselves at this point. <laughs> Every sentence you say, I'm going to tie into an episode. I'm going to prostitute myself out. Well, uh, end of story. Then, you know, like we said, that was the last battle of the Asanzo River. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Sorry, there's something in my throat. <clears> throat> Oh, you know what it is? It's the eighth battle of the Asanzo, and it came in October. And the Italians once again met stiff resistance and gained basically nothing. The end. Just kidding. In November came the ninth <laughs> battle with the exact same results. By this time, the Austrians were in tatters, though. And if Cadorna had more men to throw at them, you know, all the ones that he wasted previously... Mm -hmm. He probably could have knocked Austria out of the war completely, like the entire war, yep, World War I. Ended. Yeah. But of course he lacked the reserves, so the battle was halted. The 7th, 8th, and 9th battles had cost him about 100,000 men. Uh, no big deal, right? Just, uh, just keep throwing them at him. 
Keep throwing them at them. Morale was completely in the shitter by this point. Why? <laughs> I can't believe it. I, I don't know. Surely something will explain it that hasn't already <laughs> explained it. I'm sure it's coming up. Yeah. Mutiny ran wild throughout the winter of 1916 and the following spring. At first, the Italians just put machine guns behind the front line and shot soldiers that refused to advance right in the ass. Then Cadorna brought back the ancient Roman tradition of decimation. For those not in the know, when a unit disobeyed an order, the Romans killed one out of every ten men, hence the name decimation, deca, meaning ten. Yeah, that's for all of our non-metric listeners. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They were very confused. Cadorna simplified this and said that if any commander wasn't happy with his troops' response, he would put the name of every soldier in their unit in a hat and would draw five or six names and execute those men on the spot. Hundreds of Italian soldiers would be killed in this arbitrary and random manner. Fucking bullshit, man. Like, you're you're just minding your own business, fighting the war, you're you're taking a shit. And this guy's like, fuck you, I'm not fighting. I'm not doing it today. Done fighting. And you're like, okay, well, draw a name. Oh, it's not the guy who said he wasn't done fighting. It's the guy who's taking a shit over it's there. It's the oh, guy in the shitter. Guy. They open the shitter door. Why's he got a condom on his dick? He's jacking <laughs> it. Get him out. <laughs> and you die humiliated. Yes. You haven't even impregnated your wife yet. You're going to mail that condom home. Yeah. The appropriate way. The way God intended. Yeah. Ejaculating into a condom that your wife secretly steals and then shoves up inside her. Yes. yes. Read your Bibles, people. Read your Bibles. <laughs> By this time, the Brits were desperate for a breakthrough anywhere against the Central Powers, so Prime Minister Lloyd George met with Cadorna and offered to let him borrow 300 British artillery guns for a while. For some fucking reason, Cadorna turned him down and launched the <clears throat> 10th fucking <laughs> battle of the Asanzo in May of 1917. Do you know what, uh, Lloyd George said when Cadorna turned him down. Do you really want to hurt me? Damn it. <laughs> Did I ruin your podcast joke, Chris? You're ruined. Because it's quit. Lloyd George. Fucking quit the podcast. Get it? <laughs> well, it went about as well as you would expect it to by now. It was the largest attack yet, and the greatly outnumbered Austrians repelled it with relative ease. The 11th battle <laughs> was launched in August, and this time the Italians actually gained a little bit of ground as the Austrians were stretched thin and forced to fall back. I mean, the Italians didn't gain that much ground, and they suffered 158,000 casualties. But tiny victories are still victories, right? Yep. Right? Yep. Austria was on the brink of complete and total collapse. Leather Daddy Germany needed them, so they decided it was time to pitch in. Thus, in October of 1917, came the 12th and final, question mark, <laughs> Battle of the Asanzo River. The buildup of freshly arrived German soldiers was completely and totally noticeable, and defectors and spies even gave Cadorna the date of the attack. But by now, you should know better than to think he actually fucking listened to anyone. <laughs> hey, man, 
Here, here's the plans. Here's where they're coming. They're going to be right here. This guy's named Steve. He's a dick. If you will shoot him first, he slept with my <laughs> wife. Fuck Steve in particular. Just artillery shell this whole position because I want to see Steve bleed out and die. But here's the old plan. Here it is. He's like, I don't know, man. It doesn't seem very specific to me. I think you're just, you know, shooting from the hip here. You're just kind of coming up with shit off the top of your head. You're just uh, flying by the seat of your pants. I don't think that's, I think it's all bullshit, really. <laughs> Besides, I'm looking through the binoculars. Steve has, he's got two young kids next to him. <laughs> Those are my condom babies. Why would you possibly want to sacrifice them? <sighs> Look, I've been, I've been denying the truth for a long time. Look at them. They got red hair and black skin. <laughs> I don't have either of those things. One of them's named Steve Jr., for Christ's sakes. My name's not Steve. It's horseshit. Jesus Christ. On October 24th, the Germans and Austrians launched a massive attack and completely overwhelmed the Italians. The German use of artillery, gas, and small, quick attacks decimated Italian lines sending them into a full retreat. Cadorna ordered the Italian 2nd Army to hold out as long as they could, which wound up wiping out the 2nd entirely. In this 12th battle, the Italians would be forced way the fuck back into Italy, would suffer 43,000 casualties, and another 275,000 Italians would be taken prisoner. 275,000. Seems like a lot, but... It's a lot. It's just like, I don't know, like five baseball stadiums full of people being taken prisoner. I don't know. Ah, it's it's probably not too much. Seems like a lot. The battles of Asanzo were over, and things looked pretty grim for Italy. Fortunately for them, Cadorna was finally fired and replaced by a competent general named Antonio Diaz. The Germans had problems of their own and abandoned the Austrians. Throughout 1918, the war between Italy and Austria would kind of peter out as the Austrian Empire went into basically full collapse mode. At first glance, this series of battles might not seem important, and it might make sense to you why it's rarely discussed in World War I media. But the Italian front did exactly what the Allies needed it to. It drained the central powers of an insane amount of manpower and resources, and limited the German fighting ability on the Western Front. As for the Italians themselves, they fought bravely, but were ultimately sacrificed by an incompetent and stubborn idiot. And if it weren't for incompetence and stubbornness, would you even have 97 episodes of 100 Proof History to enjoy? 100 Proof History. End of story. Woo! We did it. We kind of left some question marks out there for him, Gregory. Like, what? Did Italy get what they wanted at the end of the war? What happened to Germany and Austria? Why did that collapse happen? And that's because there's still a little bit more World War One story to tell. Mm. We don't want to spoil that. No, no. No, you gotta save the end part. Because, you know, it gets it's hard in the front, soft in the middle, but hard at the end. So oh, yeah. That, that last quarter inch. Anyway, <laughs> that's the end of that story. But we do have, like, four more things related to that story. Like, little bitty things. Like, you know, it's important to know, but it's kind of like, not that important in the story, but you, you could still use it in a bar to get laid. And we call those things, Fast Facts. 
Fast fact number one. When Italy entered the war, not everyone thought that General Cadorna's always be attacking plan was a genius move. His own chaplain, Father Agostino Gernelli, read news reports from the Western Front and said, quote, Gone are the wars of impetus assaults and great battles. Instead, there is the struggle which exhausts with its uniformity. End quote. Cadorna is a dumbass. End fake quote. Fast fact number two. The military commander of Austria, Franz Konrad von Holzendorf, believed the Italians were, quote, bestial warriors and needed to be confronted and eliminated as soon as possible. Still, he knew Austria was doomed before the war even started and wrote to his mistress in 1913 saying, quote, Our purpose ultimately will be only to go under honorably like a sinking ship. 100 Proof History. End quote. Fast fact number three. During the battles of the Asanzo, the Italian soldiers absolutely 100% refused to dig or use latrines. Thus, their trenches, camps, and front lines were completely covered in human shit. This prompted one British observer to ask, with such a disregard for basic hygiene, how could the Italians hope to wage war properly? Fast fact number four. In 1917, an Austrian troop came forward and offered to sabotage his unit and surrender the town of Caranzo, which would have allowed Italy to punch a giant hole in the Austrian front. His offer was accepted by one general, but Cadorna was hesitant, and the plan collapsed when Italian soldiers were too slow to take the town. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, hope we told the story well. We're not going to talk about World War I next week. We're going to deviate a little, go in a little different direction, talk about World War II a little bit. But you have to tune in to find out exactly what we're going to be talking about there. In the meantime, check out 100proofhistory.com, and there you will find a little bit of biographical information, but also a link to our Patreon for just $3 a month. You get bonus episodes, access to old episodes, new video episodes. There's just so much shit, like hundreds upon thousands upon millions of things that regular people don't get access to. Also find us at 100 History on social media. There we will find our funny stuff, the memes, little uh, images related to the story. You know, just good, good little tidbits, things you can pick up and just add a little bit to the story. That's all I have. I am your sexy co-host, Christopher. Well, I'm your sexy intern, Chris. I've lost my position. I've been downgraded this week. Uh, I am your hopefully future co-host, Christopher. We'll see how the internship goes. For Wolf Dick, our producer, I say goodbye. Gregory, main host, sexy co-host. What else? Uh, I, you know, I just I want to acknowledge that I am taking complete control. And the show's going to get a lot better as a result. Don't you worry. It's about to be 200 proof history, y'all. Bye. Bye. To make things worse, the Italian army was in no way ready for the type of war that awaited them. That's how I'm at? Yeah. I know, I had this bubble in my fucking throat. An idiot. You're an idiot. I hate you. Hate you. Sorry, I'm just kidding. Get my Mr. Maxwell spot from the nanny. Remember him?
with gray no. right here. Okay. <laughs> still Darn. hot though. Well, yeah. still would. Even she did that the whole time. <laughs> just do it to the rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> I just do it back. <laughs> Are you making fun of me? No, it's a part of it. <laughs> No. <laughs> She's completely turned off by it. <laughs> now you know how everybody else feels. I watch your show on mute, okay? Finish, and then I turn it off. Go back to watching Golden Girls reruns. I can't love you till you love yourself. <laughs> no telling how many times you fucking said it. Ugh. Yeah, I hope I haven't said it fucking wrong. Who oh, cares? Well. Yeah. Nobody. I'll, you know what I'm going to do it talking right talking about here. uncircumcised fucking dicks jacking off in condoms <laughs> on the battlefield. <laughs> Who cares? All right. Thank you guys once again for listening. Hope you enjoyed no, it. Oh, we do a little more enthusiasm. All right. Thank you no. guys for listening. Just oh. not like, all right. Thank you guys for listening. Like, nah, it sounded that's all I got so left. fucking <laughs> soft rock. <laughs>